0: Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Today, John continues his series on heaven from the book of Revelation chapter 21 with his message, Some Things That Won't Be in Heaven.
1: If I were to ask you, those of you who've been here for the past few weeks, what have you learned so far in our study of heaven? hopefully, you would say, well, I feel like I learned something, and maybe about the size of heaven, that it's a square, 1,400 miles long, almost 1,400 miles deep, 1,400 miles high. Maybe the wall goes up that high. Maybe you would say, I didn't really know that one day heaven is going to come down to the earth, and eventually, we'll all heaven will be on earth. And, and these things have been interesting to me, too. But I want to just be honest with you. The thing that has gripped me the most about our study of heaven so far has not been the structure of heaven or the colors of heaven or what's in heaven. The thing that has gripped me to this point is that, and it more than gripped me, convicted me, and that is that I don't think about heaven nearly enough. I mean, I believe in heaven, I know I'm going to heaven, I do think about heaven, but I'm just probably like most people, I'm living my life, I have my responsibilities, things to do, and I don't think about heaven as much as I should, which puts me... And if you're like that, it puts you at a disadvantage in life because if we don't think about heaven, that means our whole life is focused on earth and that sets us up to have all kinds of problems. And so here's what I want to say today, if you don't think about heaven very often, If you don't think about heaven very often, you're going to have some problems in your life. The first problem that you're going to have is that you're going to have misplaced priorities. Let me read you what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus was saying there are two dimensions of life. There's earth and there's heaven. You have to understand this. What I've been trying to tell myself is I've not only been preaching the sermons, but studying, preparing for the sermons, that heaven is right above us. If God would take our blinders off and we could see that like heaven is upstairs, as it were. Heaven is a city, just like Pasadena is a city. And heaven has many of the things that our cities have. Has streets, has walls, has gates, has places for people to live but heaven is just right above us. And so Jesus was saying, as you live life, you can either live it from an earthly perspective or a heavenly perspective. And if you choose the earthly, your priorities are going to all be out of whack, not only with money, but all of your priorities in life. Second problem we have, if we don't think often about heaven, is that we're going to have unfulfilled desires. In other words, we're going to be frustrated with life. We're going to come up empty in life. We're going to have these desires in our hearts that are not going to be satisfied. Let me say this. In in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. That is, God has made us not only to live forever, but He has made us where we have desires that can only be met by Him And from a spiritual perspective, the old saying we've all heard, when God made us, He made us with a hole in our hearts. And the only person who can fill that hole is God Himself. And yet, if we're not thinking about God, we're not thinking about heaven, we're just thinking about, man, I have these desires. A desire for companionship so I'll run out and get married, or a a desire for uh, acceptance or security, so I just run out and do whatever I have to do to make myself popular, or or a desire to to, to make a name for myself, and so I just pursue that to no end. We're going to come up very frustrated, and if you think about it, I think if we could only choose one word to describe many people in the world today, It may well be that word frustrated. I think people are probably as frustrated as I've ever seen. And in that frustration, there's anger oftentimes because they have these desires. And yet everywhere they turn to get the desires met, they come up empty and it doesn't work out. Now, let's get back to this sentence. What am I saying? If you don't think often of heaven, I don't just mean going to heaven. I think most of us view heaven like a family vacation to Disney World next year. And we think, well, yeah, one year, next year we're going to Disney World. We're going to ride the rides, walk down Main Street. And I think we think about heaven. Yeah, at the end of life, that's right, I get to go to heaven. And it has absolutely nothing to do with my life down here on earth. Wrong. A right view of heaven has everything to do with our lives on earth. Look, if you don't think often of heaven, you're going to have misplaced priorities, unfulfilled desires. And think about this, nothing really to look forward to. If you're not not looking forward to seeing God, being in heaven at the end of life's journey, what do you have to look forward to? I'll tell you what you have to look forward to. You have forward to getting old, dying, and leaving everybody to somebody who won't appreciate it nearly as much as what you have because you worked for it, right? That's, that's, that's life without God. And if a person's not saved, it's worse than that because they end up going to hell forever. But for those of us who are saved, not only does thinking about heaven help our priorities to be right. It meets the deepest needs of our soul, God does, in Jesus, but also it gives us something to look forward to. Now, I've got to get out of this introduction and get into the sermon on heaven itself, but I just want to read you. I'm probably as excited about this introduction as I am the actual study we're about to do on heaven. But let me just read you this this sentence that I wrote. From the perspective of heaven, your saved loved one is very much alive. Somebody needs to hear that today. Somebody watching at home needs to hear that today. That husband, that wife, that parent, that child, that sibling, that friend that you have lost in death. If they were saved, I'm telling you, you haven't lost them. They are alive well. And they're, not only that, they're happy today in heaven. They wouldn't come back here if they could. Your problem isn't permanent. What do I know about everybody in this room today and everybody watching at home? We all have problems. I believe that none of our problems are permanent. They're all past. The, the worst problem you have right now is passing away, and it's going to be gone in a hurry. And not only that, uh, the best is yet to be. And so what I'm saying to you today, if you forget everything that we're about to see about heaven, just keep this in your mind today. If you would look at life your family situation, your financial situation, your future, your plans, your dreams, your goals, if you would look at all of that from the perspective of God in heaven, keeping in mind that everything down here is temporary, everything up there is permanent, everything down here is passing away, everything up there is last. It's like if we could just see that just above us is this city, a real city, with God himself. Jesus Christ is there. Real people are there. Many of our family members and friends are there. We're headed there. It would change everything about our life. Now, what I want us to think about today are some things that won't be in heaven. Now, we've already seen there won't be any sickness or pain or sorrow or death or sadness or tears. None of that is in heaven. We've also seen that there are a lot of things in heaven. There's there's a street of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl. There are people in heaven, angels in heaven, but today I want us to think about some things that will not be in heaven. First of all, notice this, there's no temple in heaven. There's no temple. In Revelation 21, look in verse number 22. Now remember, John is having a guided tour of heaven, an angel is walking him through the city, and John said, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. What is a temple? A temple is a place that in Old Testament times, the people went to worship God. The Old Testament temple is very similar to the New Testament church. It was a building, and it was where people went to worship God. But when John has this vision of heaven, he's saying there's no temple up here. There's no sanctuary. There's no church house. Why? Because God himself, Jesus Christ himself, is the temple. As one man has said, heaven is the limitless presence of God. The whole ambiance, the whole mood, the whole environment, the atmosphere of heaven is worship. And it is not limited to some room or building in heaven. It is the whole city that is like that. Think about this. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. They went into this room and they worshiped. In the New Testament times, that's us today, God has a people for his temple. We're the temple of God. But in heaven, God himself is the temple, and we'll worship him all through heaven, not just having to go to a particular place so that we can worship him. The second thing that's interesting to me is that in heaven, there's no sun and there's no moon. Look in verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And so one of the things we read about in heaven that makes it unbelievably beautiful is that heaven is a city of light. It is a city of brightness. It, it, it would be blinding brightness if we went there today with our human eyes. That's why we need new eyes, and we'll get new eyes when we go to heaven. But there'll be no sun and there'll be no moon. Listen to this verse out of the Old Testament, Isaiah 60 and verse 19 out of the NIV. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. So the Old Testament predicted that there's coming a day when we'll have light without the sun. We won't need the sun, and we won't need the moon. Think about this. God has never been dependent upon the sun and the moon for light. Back in the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, on day one, God said, let there be light, and there was light. But it wasn't until day four that God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Think about that. There was light Three days before the sun, moon, and stars were created. How is this possible? Because God's not dependent on those things for light. He is the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And in heaven, all the light will radiate, emanate from the person of Jesus Christ. It will be the brightest room, the brightest place I say room, it's a huge room if you think of it in that sense, that you've ever seen in all your life. And then there's no night in heaven. Look in verse 25. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. We have night now so we can sleep, so we can rest, so we can refresh our bodies. Our bodies can renew themselves while we sleep. Healing is therapeutic, but in heaven, we'll have new bodies. There's no purpose for rest. There's no need for sleep, and so there will not be any night. So think about that. In heaven, John's walking around. He's seeing this beautiful city. And in the midst of all that he's seeing is there, he's noticing there's no temple. This whole place is a place of worship. There's no sun and moon. The light comes from Jesus. And there's no night because we never get sleepy and we never get tired. But notice something else. This is the most important thing that I'll say all day. There are no unsaved people in heaven. God makes a distinction between those who are saved and those who are unsaved. You know, we live in a divided nation, and our nation has been divided for a long time, but we live in a nation today that is largely divided on political issues or economic issues, and it's divided on all these different categories of things. But listen, God looks at life, and God sees two categories of people, those who are saved and those who are unsaved, those who are on their way to heaven and those who are on their way to hell. And the Bible makes clear there will be no unsaved people in heaven. Now, In order to go to heaven, you have to be saved. People come to me and they say, John, I want to get baptized. Well, okay, good. Why? I want to get my sins washed away. I say, now we're talking about two different things. Getting baptized is important, but getting baptized will not wash your sins away. That is water. That cannot touch the soul. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can wash our sins away. And after he's washed our sins away, what do we do? Then we get up there in that baptistry and we say to the watching world, I have died to an old way of living and I've been raised to walk in a brand new way of life. I am a new person. And that's why a white robe goes on that candidate. Because they're saying, just like this robe is clean and pure and white, Jesus Christ has made my heart that way. And so that's what it's all about. And so the way to go to heaven is to have your sins forgiven. When I prayed that prayer and said, God, forgive me and save me, Jesus washed my sins away, and he wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life. And I'm telling you this, friend. In heaven, there are a lot of books. Go back to chapter 20. I'll show you. We looked at this several weeks ago as we were studying the great white throne judgment, the final judgment for unsaved people. And John said in verse 12, and I saw the dead. That is the spiritually dead. These people are not dead. They're standing at judgment, but they're spiritually, they're unsaved. Small and great the big shots and the little shots the famous people and the people nobody's ever heard of there they are standing before God but they're unsaved and books were open notice multiple books were open and another book was open which is the book of life the lamb's book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books and so these books plural talk about all the things that unsaved people have done all the sins they've committed remember their sins are not forgiven And so with the final judgment, they will be judged for their unforgiven sins, and then they will be sent to an eternity in hell where they will be punished for their sins. As I've said all along, just like heaven has rewards, hell has degrees of punishment, and these books reveal that. For those of us who are saved, there are other books in heaven, and God's keeping note. God's making mark when we do something right, when we serve Him, when we express love to people. And one day we'll be rewarded for that. But notice the main book up there is the Lamb's Book of Life. Now look down in verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. This is serious business. Look again in chapter 21, verse 27. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The only people going through the gates of heaven are those who have been saved. Look in verse 24. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Verse 26. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And so what I'm saying is what God is saying to us, there's a book in heaven There are many books, but the main book is the Lamb's Book of Life. It's a huge book. But the only people's names in that book are the names of people who have truly been born again, who have been saved by the grace of God. I don't know how to make this clearer. Whose sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. When that happens, their name is written in that book. And I'm asking you today an honest question. Do you know for sure that your name is in the Lamb's book of life? I mean, it either is or it isn't. Now, you may sit there and say, well, I don't know whether it is. I know it either is or isn't, but I don't know whether it is or isn't. Well, you've got to get that settled. You would be foolish to leave here today without knowing that for sure. You've got to RSVP. In other words, Jesus has invited, he said, whosoever will may come. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, come, come. Whosoever will may come. But in order for you to benefit from that, you have to come to Jesus. You have to call on Jesus. You have to pray. And you have to say, Jesus, I have sinned. I've messed up. That's a hard thing for us to do. But it's... the first beatitude blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven it takes humility to admit we can't get to heaven on our own you've got to get your name on that list and in that book i was thinking last night i thought now god what would be a good illustration to finish up on here about the importance of having your name on the in the right book or having your name on the right list a couple of weeks ago i went to my mailbox one day and as i was getting the mail i was walking back into my house And I looked to the west side of my yard, and I noticed there was some trash. So I walked over there, and I began to pick that up and to go back and throw that away. And while I was over there, I started smelling something. And I said, I think I smell a gas leak. That's what I thought to myself. I think I smell a gas leak. Which just the thought of that has a way of putting a damper on your day right there. You're just thinking that. I'm trying to look at it on the bright side. I thought, at least I don't have COVID because I can smell. I can smell this really good. But then I talked myself out of it. I thought, well, no, I'm not sure if that's a gas leak or not. Well, I walked around the other back side of my house, went back to that same area. I said, man, I know this is a gas leak. And I don't know if it's on my property, or my neighbor's, but there's a gas smell right here. So I called Centerpoint and I reported this. I said, I don't know where it is, but there's a gas leak near my property or on my property. And, and so the lady was really nice, and she said, well, since you're detecting a gas leak, we're going to put your name on a list, and we're going to put it above everybody else who doesn't have an emergency. And I said, man, that's just I really appreciate that. Well, about 30 or 40 minutes later, a man came over. He had his little gas meter and he walks along the side of my house, and that meter starts going off and making all the noises. And he came back around me. He's a funny little guy, and he said, let me get this straight. He said, are you saying you think you smelled gas? I said, that's what I'm saying. He said, well, I just want to tell you, you were right on that. You've got a gas leak. I said, well, what are we going to do? But He said, I'm getting crews out here. We're going to fix it. He said, we've got to get this fixed. And he said, I'm not leaving your property till the crew gets here. He sat out in his truck for about 30 or 40 minutes. Here comes the crew. And they started working on that. They brought a big Kubota in my backyard, which was like it's like a small bulldozer. And they just started digging deep trenches in my. It, you thought I'd put a pool in my backyard. They started digging all this stuff, and they worked for over 15 hours on this project. It got, I asked them, I said, am I safe to stay in the house? They said, oh, yeah, you're safe. It's outside, and you'll be fine. I thought, okay, that's good. So about 11, 1130, I thought, well, I'm going to try to go to bed. I'm not going to sleep well tonight. This Kubota is, is, is not, you know, conducive to sleep, but it is what it is. They're fixing the problem. I thought, I can deal with that. Well, about this time, I started hearing people walking on my roof above me. I thought, man, maybe I, maybe I have inhaled this gas, and it's having an effect on me now. And so I walked outside. By this time, the second supervisor has arrived. I mean, it's just, my street looks like the Centerpoint Convention down there. And I said to the man, I said, I, I'm, excuse me to bother you, but it seems as though I hear some people walking on my roof. He said, well, the reason you seem to hear that is people are walking on your roof. And he said, the, people, the reason people are walking on your roof is we think now the gas leak is actually inside your house. Where the leak was was real close to your sewer line, and it's coming through your sewer up the vents in your house, and and we're working on it. And I thought, please continue, you know, please continue. Well, by this time, I'm thinking, you know, the Kubota's one thing. Even the walking on the roof, that was almost putting me over the cliff. But the fact that the gas leak is in my house, maybe this would be a good time for me to get out of Dodge, right? That's what I thought. And so I looked in my driveway. There were so many trucks I couldn't get my own car out. So I called my dad. I felt bad to do this this late. I said, Dad, I'm, I'm sorry to wake you. Oh, no, no, you didn't wake me up. I'm just sitting over here reading through Leviticus right now. You didn't wake me up at all. Which he didn't say that, but he made me feel better for calling him that late. I said, Dad, I, I explained what was happening, and uh, I had told him a little earlier that evening what was going on, and he, I said, now they think the gas is inside. I said, I really think probably I need to get out of this house. He said, yeah, I think that'd probably be a good idea. Said, come on over, John. We'll see when we get I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't get out. All these trucks. I, I said, "Can you come pick me?" I felt like a 12 years old. You know, I'm calling my dad, and saying, "Dad, can you come pick me up? You know, rescue me from this." He came over. He picked me up. Took me to their house. Got back. The, he took me back the next morning. They were just. They had just left, and I found out pinhole leak. Over 15 hours to find it. They fixed it and got, But I was thinking about that last night. You say, John, what? That's that's interesting. What does that have to do with the Lamb's Book of Life? Let me try to make a circle. Try to. Land this. Not a lot, really. I, well, I, only this. When that gas leak was in my house, I was glad my name was in the Lamb's Book of Life because I was thinking it might be my time to, to go. But uh, I was thinking about that last night. I went in my yard. I detected a problem. What did I do then? I made a call. What happened then? They put my name in a book. What happened then? They sent help to solve the problem. What happened then? My father came and got me out of trouble, right? That's what happened. What happens when a person gets saved? Hey, folks, that'd be a good sermon outline right now. They detect a problem, the problem is not a gas leak, the problem is sin. You cannot be saved until you realize that you have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so what do we do then? We call heaven, we call God, and we ask God to put our name in the book, the Lamb's book of life. And what does he do? He writes our name in the book and help is on the way. The Holy Spirit comes to live in our heart. And then just before the whole world blows up, what happens? The Father comes and rescues us out of a dire and desperate situation. And so I'm saying to you today just knowing that my name was in the center, book, center point book gave me peace and comfort. How much more so do we need to know beyond the shadow of any doubt that our name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen.
0: Is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? If not, it can be. Won't you pray with me now? Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Please make me the person you created me to be. In your name I pray, amen. For those of you who have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know by sending us an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at one 800 Again, that's 1-800-337-0157. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message along with many others on our website, peacebybelieving.org under the broadcast tab. We invite you to keep up with us on social media. You can like Peace By Believing Ministries on Facebook and follow at PBB underscore broadcast on Twitter. And don't forget to share and to tell your family and friends about Peace by Believing. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.